You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Ajit. And today I'm super excited to talk to Alan Love. Today, we are going to talk about an interesting topic, which is he being an expert, I would need to call him, is about transition from deal focus to a customer lifecycle. And if I look at the today's scenario, there's a lot that is happening around this particular thing. So before I uh, bring in Alan or before I introduce, Alan is have brings over like 30 years of combined industry and consulting experience to his role. Uh, he is into a capacity of senior director, GTM, digital platform leader, He's also aligned to you know, sales processes across planning, goal setting, forecasting. So let's welcome together uh, to this particular show. Hi, Alan. How are you today? Hello, Ajit. I'm good, doing well. Thanks. Hope you are. Uh, I am doing super good. Thank you so much. It's always been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Uh, I know we discussed a lot about this before getting into this call, and I'm super excited how we are going to take this forward. So. Great. So, Alan, before we really deep dive into, you know, this today's topic, it would be great if you could just talk about how is your journey so far? Yeah, thanks for asking. And, and it's great to be here and I appreciate the invitation. Uh, I love to talk about this stuff. I, I, I always say uh, when I'm introducing myself that, that, um, that I kind of operate off of a guiding principle that says nothing good happens until somebody sells something. That's actually attributable to uh, a, a guy named Arthur Red Motley, who I think was one of the you know, kind of the leading voices early on in making sales uh, more of a profession, right? And really the transition to sales enablement and, and viewing sales as a profession. And he said, nothing good happens until somebody sells something. And I really believe that. If you think about it, you know, uh, when you sell something, all sorts of goodness happens. You know, there's a there's the benefit of the buyer that, that they get from what they purchased. There's the validation of all the design work and engineering work and product development work. And then there's profits that get shared out with, you know, with the stakeholders. And that gets reinvested in all sorts of goodness. And, and it's just cascading. And so the fact that nothing good happens until somebody sells something is really something I I fundamentally believe. And it has shaped my career. So I started in field sales, uh, you know, selling uh, in back in the day. It's been quite a while now. Uh, business machines, uh, spent a good bit of time in the um, cardiac rhythm management device business of so selling uh, medical products. And then at some point in okay. that, having done that relatively um, effectively and successfully, I said, you know, I want to help. I want to do, I want to continue to sell, but do more than sell. And I want to help people sell. I want to help other professionals who are doing what I've done, be successful because there's so much pressure. It's a results-oriented business. A lot of times your compensation is significantly, if not completely, contingent on your ability to be successful in, in, in uh, uh, being effective in front of a customer. 
And so I wanted to help those professionals accomplish their goals. And so shifted my focus into consulting and have spent the last several years with PricewaterhouseCoopers or with Salesforce, the uh, CRM and beyond platform company, and now with uh, within Cisco Systems uh, as really a, 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 an enabler of sales teams and sales effectiveness. The team I lead, we have a simple vision. Our goal is to empower teams to to engage smarter, so engage with their with their customers in a more uh, data informed, insight informed way to. Uh, sell faster, <laughs> to work faster, you know, to take away all of the sort right. of uh, uh, friction and, and, and non-value added activity so that they're moving as quickly as they possibly can to deliver value to their customer. Right. And then to sell bigger, to bring all the goodness of, in this case, Cisco Systems together on behalf of our customers. So that's my that's my journey. That's my passion. Uh, that's what my, my entire career has been about. I, I just love that. Trust me. It's been fantastic to hear about all these things. And I think over the period, I think that's what I would say is the experience, as you rightly said, about the quote that you mentioned about your selling experience or about the consulting role. So it's so fantastic. And I'm sure there's a lot that you could share with our audience today from this particular thing. Well, uh, before getting onto a call, Alan, so I was just going through some research or I was just trying to understand more about today's topic. So, uh, you know, I just came across something very uh, interesting stats, which was, I think, uh, which is from Bloombridge. Uh, I think it was earlier 2018 published, but very relevant to 2021. So today, I think still 34% of the marketeers they surveyed, they were completely, or they were the only who were aware about what you know CLV is, or only 24% respondents felt that the company was monitoring CLV effectively. Well, in this case, then I think the first question from my side would be, how would you define this? Or what is the importance of this today in 2021 when we talk about, you know, customer lifecycle, I would say? Yeah. And and particularly as it's measured in terms of customer lifetime value that you're describing there with the CLV metric, right? So the, I mean, if you think about it, we've been going through a shift. Everybody has been aware of it. Every Everyone who speaks on the topic of B2B, uh, commercial effectiveness or go-to-market uh, effectiveness talks about the shift of a more of a buyer-led journey. When I started in sales many years ago, it was really a seller-led journey. The, the buyer was dependent on me for information. The buyer was dependent on me for access. That obviously has shifted with digital access to information, digital access to purchasing channels, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the buyer really has much more controlling. Now we're a buy, we have to be buyer centric in our approach, our customer centric in our approach. And with that, uh, the idea of what is the lifetime sort of value of that relationship and how are we growing that relationship over time, uh, that becomes the primary sort of measure of effectiveness. And whatever was true uh, prior to this, you know, kind of global pandemic that we've all been you know, fighting our way through. And candidly, you know, I know we're in different parts of the world and and I'm very, you know, sensitive and our thoughts are with uh, people who are, uh, you know, in, in the part of the world where you are today, because I know there's some real challenges that going through. And, uh, yep. but, but, uh, but, you know, whatever was true prior to that, it's even more true now because customers are uh, looking for more flexibility in the way they buy, how they buy, where they buy, uh, and 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 consume and pay for the services products 
that, 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 that they get from, from the companies we represent. And so I think that, that idea of customer, uh, life cycle, customer lifetime value, et cetera, whatever was, was true in terms of the importance of it in 2018, it's even more true now as we've gone through, I think, a, a, an acceleration of that shift from a seller-centric view of the world to a buyer-centric view of the world. Absolutely. It does make sense, Alan. Trust me. So uh, what does the D focus on customer lifecycle transformation represent? Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so maybe to give just a bit of context, you know, so working for companies that have, there, there's, there's kind of, there are companies that are, you know, more recently, uh, you know, coming into the market and maybe they're uh, pure SaaS companies or completely software focused companies that that uh, start with the mindset of customer lifetime, uh, customer life cycle, you know, uh, that, that, that sort of perspective of the way uh, customers are, are, are buying from them or doing business with them. Then, but the majority of the, of the world kind of represents, is represented by companies like Cisco Systems, which have a long and rich history and legacy of, uh, you know, of, in some cases, very hardware focused. Cisco was a, a foundational part of building the internet as we Absolutely. know it today. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and a lot of that was through the hardware that was provided. And that was sort of uh, sold in these very deal focused transactions. You know, what does a customer need to buy from me? And the value uh, in my mind happens as soon as the truck leaves our shipping dock on its way to the customer's shipping dock. Right. And, 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 Companies like Cisco still building on that legacy foundation of of a strong product commitment are now enhancing those products with uh, software uh, and services that extend uh, the way those products are experienced by our customers and consumed by our customers. And so, so we've got to shift from this mindset, uh, this legacy mindset that says, "What what can I sell today?" That's the deal mindset. What can right. I sell today? Right. You know, um, and 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 the customer life cycle or customer uh, yeah customer life cycle mindset is more how can I grow the value of the, how can I grow the value exchange between my company and the customer over time? Now there sure. are deals that are part of that, right? But but the deal is subordinated to that, uh, and so that's the shift that that companies have to undertake is what. You know, we were kind of focused on what can I sell today to now thinking about how do I grow the value of our relationship with our customers over time? Fantastic. This is super insightful, actually. Well, uh, then, uh, so from this perspective, what do you see as a difference or how does this show up in business practices and processes as for you? Yeah, I think um, it shows up. Again, it's a little bit of a different starting point. We start from the perspective of what is our current relationship with the customer, right? So our, our marketing and, and sales teams have to be aligned in understanding the current relationship with the customer. What is our uh, current install base? What is the current uh, uh, level of consumption from the customer, uh, from, from the customer uh, back to our company? And uh, and then out of that, where uh, so that's kind of one one kind of point of reference is what is the current relationship with this customer? The other reference point is what are the what are the outcomes that this customer is attempting to achieve? So 
not what do they need and what can I sell them? That's a deal-centric view. It's what is our relationship today and what are their strategic outcomes that they're trying to achieve and how can we enhance our relationship with them in such a way that it enables them to achieve their outcomes, their strategic outcomes. So it becomes infinitely more solution-oriented, infinitely more outcomes-oriented, uh, and, and that becomes sort of the orientation point of what account planning looks like, of what sales planning looks like. Uh, again, it's less, what do they need and what can I sell them? And it's, wh what is our current relationship? What are their intended strategic outcomes or priorities? And how can we enhance our relationship to help them achieve those? Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. I think that's a great perspective to this particular thing. Uh, well, then, of course, the next thing what comes to my mind is, uh, what are those changes that needs to be implemented to make the transition? Yeah, well, I think it's at least three areas that you have to contemplate the change. One is culture. There's right. significant cultural okay. differences in, in a deal-centric organization versus a uh, customer life cycle-focused organization. There are process changes, obviously. And then I think maybe, uh, and, and I don't know what is the proverbial chicken and what is the proverbial egg here, but the, but the last thing that comes <laughs> to mind is there are metrics changes. You're like what? How did you measure success before? How will you measure success in the future? Uh, that that sort of perspective on metrics has to uh, has to shift, right? Oh yeah. Okay, that definitely makes sense. So, uh, can you just unpack? each of those, you know, in little more detail or what is, yeah. you know, uh, I would say, let's start, say, what is the culture of customer-centric business for you then? Yeah, I think there are a few observable cultural uh, elements that you see in companies right. that are effective in making this transition. I think the first is, well, I take a lot of this candidly from uh, a friend and professional colleague, uh, Ashley Welch. She brings the perspective of design thinking to the sales process. And I think that sort of that, that starts to shape the culture of a customer focused organization, because you think about some of the principles of design thinking are, you know, curiosity and empathy and transparency and vulnerability. Those don't sound like sales culture kind of constructs, but they really do. They really are in a customer centric view. I've got to be incredibly curious about my customer and what are their challenges and what, what are their outcomes that they're trying to achieve and what are the pressure points that they're trying to address from a market context perspective. And, and then with that, develop empathy. How can I get myself in their shoes more and more and more so that I am seeing the world from their point of view? And and um, and then transparency, right? M making uh, candidly, you know, whereas we, you know, in the past, in a deal-centric view, we kind of kept our, you know, information as shrouded as possible from the customer and the customer sort of tried to breast their proverbial cards as well. So now we've got to kind of put all the cards on the table because we've got to come to a value exchange that makes sense for everybody. And the only way to do that is by more transparency. And um, and then the last thing that, that you know, at least right now, I could, uh, you know, probably answer this question completely differently if we ask it 30 minutes from now. But the, but the last thing that, that <laughs> needs to be stated is that in a customer 
life cycle or more of a customer centric view away from a deal centric view, the concept of collaboration becomes um, even more important. That's why this idea of transparency leading to collaboration and it's and it's collaboration from, you know, kind of across the the uh, ledger between our company and the customer. And then it's transparency across all of the roles that candidly have to come together today uh, in most of the complex B2B buying environments that I know our company works in. And I'm sure many of the, the potential listeners of the podcast would find themselves in, you know, it's, it's, it's a team sport, you know, it's a sales is a team sport. And so you have specialists, you have engineers, you have, product managers, you have the actual seller or the relationship manager or the client director or whatever, uh, however you would describe that. You have value, you know, uh, engineers who are looking at, you know, a value proposition and and business case. And all of these components have to come together to drive a complex, you know, piece of work in the B2B space from inception to successful close. And that requires a lot more sort of transparency and collaboration even internally. So, I mean, those are the things. And I think, like I said, the sort of the design principles, the design thinking principles, empathy, uh, curiosity, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then, and then this idea of, you know, transparency and collaboration. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that two are very great points that is transparency and collaboration. It's really, really most important today uh, because, that's how the world is all about today because we're living absolutely in a virtual environment and that's where it kicks off to be the most important aspect. Well, uh, you know, I really want to understand is then uh, what process change will it need to come to life in the business or do you have any metrics about it basically? Yeah, yeah. So I think in the simplest view, um, yeah. the process change that has to take place or at least in the most sort of uh, in, in a conceptual perspective, the process change that has to take place is, you know, we, you know, we, we tend to think about the sales process as being, uh, you know, sort of whatever the lead, you know, demand gen component is all the way through the creation of an opportunity and, and the way that opportunity or deal moves through the, through the various stages to the point of being closed, et cetera. So that's very much a deal centric view of sales process. Uh, the biggest shift is we have to now take more of a, a life cycle view that looks at all of the elements of the uh, customer uh, life cycle from the, and, and from the perspective of the customer. How do they become aware of their own potential needs and the way our products or services might satisfy those needs? How do they grow in their understanding uh, how do we align on a potential solution that might satisfy their business requirements? And then how do they, how do we align on their ability to consume and adopt that and, and to assess the value of it? And then, then, then the consumption moment happens that they, they, they purchase something from us. And now we have to move uh, across the process continues. It doesn't stop there. It starts now with the idea of adoption and how they begin to integrate the, the new product or service that they've purchased into their ways of working and their organization and uh, begin to document and perceive and appreciate the value of, of what we've sold them now so that when yeah. it comes time for renewing, they're ready to you know renew and perhaps even extend 
the relationship with more products, more services from our company. So again, instead of thinking about it from a deal-centric perspective of lead to close, we're now thinking about True. it from a from a customer lifecycle perspective, from awareness to purchase to adoption to renew. That really becomes the process framework that we're aligning to. It makes sense. I think it definitely makes sense. And there's a lot of thought to give out here. Well, then what metrics will customer-centric business pay attention to? Because we spoke about this, like deal-centric yeah. versus customer-centric. So where do you really find this from a metric perspective? Yeah, I think that in the simplest form, you're moving from, you know, the deal-centric world was focused on total contract value, right? That was the big metric. You know, what's the total contract value of the deal? And now we're really looking at the annual value of the deal and any incremental value that's being achieved through through the deal. Absolutely. So we're looking at. So I think that's the that's the simple shift. And so you have to really define those metrics uh, in a way that that makes sense to the company. Things like cross sell, upsell, which were in the past maybe in a deal centric view of the world, or a you know uh, were were very conceptual. Like an upsell was was just some, it was more of a sales motion. Now upsell becomes an actual defined metric because, because we have to be growing the annual value of the relationship with the customer for there to really be an upsell and a cross sell or whatever the other ways we might expand that relationship over time. So I think there's just a new suite of metrics that have to be defined. And then uh, those start to displace some of the, the ways we may have, uh, you know, measured success or compensated teams in the past, because again, it's less about what did I sell today? And it's more about how am I growing the relationship over time? Awesome. That's super awesome. So uh, that that's quite interesting too, also, because it is a thought to, give, to be given the way we do current, for example, I'm into a marketing role. The way I think it's still more historically, I think a lot of companies would have those approach uh, about being a deal focused rather than going from a customer focus. And that transition has been a big time trouble for a lot of organization in the current scenario what into. So my next question Alan, for you would be, you know, what, what are the challenges for companies with such history of success to make this transition? I think there are there are many there are many challenges. Yeah. The one that comes to mind very specifically is if you think about it, in a company that has had a history of success, the leaders that exist in that company today are part of, in most cases, the team that achieved that historic success or that legacy success, and they achieved that success with the legacy behaviors, and so. In some cases, I think leadership can be the constraint to the transformation because if you're looking at sales leaders at at uh, the the more senior levels of the sales organization, again they've started out as account executives in the old ways of working, and so a lot of times, and so so now we're saying they've got to work differently when all of their success, all of their tendencies, all of their in, you know kind of impulses are aligned to the old ways of working. So I think in, in many cases, you know, we, we, we tend to think about transformation, sales process change, sales enablement, digital capabilities through the lens of what changes do we need to make for the proverbial end user or individual contributor. And I think when you're making a more fundamental shift in, in the organization, this deal-centric to customer life, life cycle 
approach, you've got to really give thought to what are the changes uh, back to those three things, culture, process, and metrics. What are the three, what are the changes in those three areas that we need to drive with our first line managers and all the way up through the sales, the ranks of sales leadership? Because if that group doesn't buy into the new ways of working and change essentially some of their approaches and their rituals uh, from a sales leadership perspective, any changes we may be trying to make at the foundation of the organization or at the individual contributor or level of the organization will either be, uh, you know, minimized or, 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 you know, eliminated because, because leadership isn't changing. So I think that's the number one thing. You got to get the leaders on board with where we're going and what it means for them to work differently. And then they'll start to bring along, I think, candidly, their, uh, their individual contributors because they're right. measuring them differently, they're engaging with them differently, they're inspecting them differently, and all of that starts to cascade down through the organization. Oh well, that's that's a great point you made again. So, uh, what are there any unexpected or surprising areas of impact in in this? We should really take care of, or we should really think about. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's a good question. I think. One of the things, and I don't know if this is surprising, but it's what comes to mind when you ask this question, is what we have to do is integrate what I would call sales execution and sales enablement. Like, in, in, in again, in the past, sales execution was sort of one category. Sales enablement was a different category. When we're thinking about this customer lifecycle perspective and the shift in the way we're engaging with our customers, that sales execution and sales enablement become a more integrated reality. In other words, how we want them to work, sales execution, and how we are training them, supporting them, uh, you know, digitally accelerating them in that way of working, all of that has to come together into sort of a connected whole. And so if you have digital capabilities over here and sales training over here, I think you're going to be sub-optimized. We're really working uh, in our operating model to bring all of that together. What what are we doing to support sales execution uh, from a process and digital capability perspective? And then what are we doing from an enablement perspective? Uh, and how do we bring that together into a more seamless experience versus maybe the siloed experiences that that exist in some companies today? Fantastic. Fantastic, Alan. I think this was super great, super insightful to know about it. Uh, and, you know, there's always more you want to know about this and you always want to deep dive. But I think for the movement and for this particular show, this was something which was definitely a lot to take away for me, for my audiences, definitely. So, well, uh, thank you so much. But, you know, before we end this conversation, I think my favorite thing to ask you is, have you picked up any of the new things or new hobby or any new book that you would recommend to uh, my listeners out there? Well, I will say, yes. I mean, you know, I, I sort of entered the COVID period with no hobbies and I'm exiting the COVID period <laughs> with multiple hobbies because I had to do something, right? I, I went exactly. from, you know, <laughs> all the travel and everything to, to, yeah. to very limited travel and so, you know, I, I, I've, I've become a much better cook 
pre-COVID yeah. to today, right? So I've really, I've really in, in invested significantly in uh, in in growing my ability to, you know, cook. And a lot of the stuff that I do is is related to wow. uh, to uh, outside cooking. So I have a lot of things outside. My most recent thing is <laughs> is uh, a pizza oven that allows me to cook Neapolitan style pizza in a very traditional way. So I'm super excited about that, but Fantastic. Yeah, so don't, don't start me on that topic or we'll be here for another 30 minutes because I'm, I'm equally <laughs> as passionate about pizza cooking as I am about sales. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know what? I think we should start next time with this particular thing first, that's because right. I'm going to come back to, to deep dive more on this topic. We should really <laughs> link up with your pizza skills basically. Because I'm, it's something which is your secret sauce, which we would love to like and know about. <laughs> hey, I would, well, I would say, okay. I would say, um, is... you know, because I mentioned her earlier, Ashley Welch has written a book called Naked Sales, a little bit of a provocative title, I guess, okay. but, but it's really about, you know, that idea of empathy and transparency and vulnerability and walking in the shoes of your customer. I find it to be super in, insightful and, uh, and, and certainly recommend that as a, as a resource to, to uh, people in the uh, in that are committed to helping sellers be successful in the, uh, achieving the results that they're accountable to achieve. No, that's that's fantastic of you to share this, and I think there's a big shout out to Ashley too for this. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for all of the information that you shared, all the insights that you shared with us. Really appreciated much about it. Okay. Uh, well, any any parting thoughts? Anything that you would like to put as a closing statement to our conversation? Uh, no, thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's been great to talk about uh, these topics together and. And uh, like uh, Red Motley says, nothing good happens till somebody sells something. So let's make a lot of good stuff happen, right? So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think I'm going to go with this quote, and I'm going to keep it with me because it means a lot. Actually, it really means yeah. a lot. I'm a revenue marketer, so I need to make some amendments in just what you said to me. <laughs> well, once again, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been fun to be on. It's fun to have you on our show. Basically, I really enjoyed you on our podcast today. You take care of yourself. And I want to also give a big thank you to all my listeners who are listening out there. Please take care of yourself. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And yeah, keep watch on your loved ones. Take care of yourself. Bye. Signing it off. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And share these insights with your peers.